rest of us will be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. We've been going through Romans. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible. I, I do like to spend time in it. Uh, it's one of the greatest uh, books to talk to you about Christianity and what it means to believe in the Lord. The first 14 verses of chapter 6 are probably the most important verses in the entire Bible. And I say that because they help us to learn how to live life from, or how to live going from enduring Christianity to enjoying it. All right? We want to enjoy the Christian life in this book, this chapter. These verses will show us how to do so. The difference between possessing eternal life and possessing the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. There's a difference, and I hope today that you are able to discern that for yourself. Last week we were in chapter 5, and we learned last week why we do silly things, and why we do uh, shameful things, and why we do uh, serious, selfish, foolish things. It's because we inherited that, all right? We got it from our father Adam. We inherited his sinful nature, his sinful ways. And so the problems that we create in our life today, the difficulties that we come up with, the bad attitude that I have at work or wherever I have one, the poor choices that I make all come from being inherited. I am natural at that. I'm good at that. We are all good at that. We don't go out seeking to make bad choices. We do not plan to make bad choices. But you and I are so good at making bad choices. We are experts at doing the wrong thing. And so, any good successful hypocrite would agree with that. <laughs> what happens is that we, we all uh, tend to want to... Uh, put away that sinful nature by hiding it. We want to hide it from God. Instead of fighting it, we want to hide it. And therefore, that becomes our problem. Chapter 5 revealed to us who we are, who we really are, who we are in Adam and who we can be in Christ. There is a difference there. Today, we're going to elaborate on that. God provided a way to put this old man to death. God provided a way to get rid of that old life. And to give us a new life, to provide new life, not a remade life, not a reconditioned life, but a brand new life. That's what God wants to give to you today. This new life is stronger than the old life. Jesus is stronger than Adam. Jesus is greater than Adam. So the Adam in us, that old nature that was in us, Jesus wants to move in and wipe that nature out and put his new nature within us, which gives us victory. Now, the key to discovering how to make that happen is the secret, right? How do I make that new life come alive? How do I cause that to take control of my life? You don't have to try to be good with the new life. We learned this last week. You don't have to try to be good the same way you didn't have to try to be bad in Adam. It just come natural. So in the new life, you don't have to try to be good. You just got to let it naturally happen because it's Jesus in you. Amen. So you let that happen. The same as the old life. You didn't have to try to be bad. The same with the new life. You don't have to try to be good. You just let it happen. This new life produces goodness as easy as the bad life produced badness. So let me ask you a question. 
Why aren't Christians living like this? Why aren't Christians living this new life? Why aren't Christians being a prime example of the new life of Christ within them? Why is there so little evidence of this new life in the Christian world? What's going on that causes this? Why isn't there uh, enough evidence of this wholesome, attractive Christian way of living? Most Christians, if you think about it, experience a baffled and boring and frustrating life. Just like anybody else in the world. What's going on with us? Why, why, what's the key? Why can't this happen? Right here is where chapter 6 begins. Right here you're going to get the answer. Let's stand together and let's read chapter 6. Not all of it, but a few verses. Why are the Christians struggling to live this life? Let's see. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Let's stop there. Father, we ask you to bless your word today in our heart. And in our mind, Lord, and give us the key to living that successful, abundant, eternal life that Jesus said was ours. And I pray, Father, that you speak to every heart today in this place. Change lives in this place today. Make your kingdom grow from this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I read a couple of verses. The answer goes on into chapter 6. But I just want to talk to you this morning about the question. Because of our sin, Jesus left heaven and came to earth to die on a cross to pay for your penalty. That's what he did when he came and died on the cross. He paid your sin debt and mine. And so with doing that, he gave us grace. So we went from living under the law of God, the Ten Commandments, to now we live under the grace of God, the gift of life that Jesus gives to all who, as Tuffy said, believe in him and trust him and, and long for him. So the question arises in chapter 6 of verse 1, if my sin caused God to reveal his grace, should we continue to sin? so that God's grace would be increased or it would continue to be revealed. Now, you wouldn't say that to God, would you? God, I'm going to continue to sin so that your grace will pour on me and people will see it and they'll know that you are a gracious God. You would never say that to God, would you? Anybody? But you know what? Every time you choose to sin, that's exactly what you say to God. Every time you falter and fall for the temptation of the devil that's exactly what you say to God you say God I know that you died for my sin therefore my sin is taken care of I'm going to commit this sin because I know your grace will be poured out upon me now we wouldn't come out and say that to him face to face but we say it every time we choose to do wrong and so Paul is addressing that with us today He's wanting us to understand that there's some things that need to happen. That's a pattern that we begin to fall into. We struggle to be good. And remember I said you don't have to struggle to be good. You just got to let it happen. But even Christians have trouble letting that happen. And we struggle with that. And so then we commit sin 
and then we get shamed of it, and then we go to God and confess it, and then He forgives us by His gracious act of the cross of Jesus, and then we go on our way, and then we sin, and then we get shamed, and then we confess it, and then we get grace given to us, and then we sin, and then we get grace, and then we, and pretty soon it becomes a confusing circle because we are continuing to sin, and eventually we stop confessing it. We stop taking it to Him because we're so ashamed of ourselves, we stop and we try to hide it instead of fight it. And we try to do away with it, and then we try to pretend that we're good. And we try to keep it from people, our sin. Now, we still continue. We dabble in it. We do what we want to do. We call ourselves Christian, but we do what we want to do, and we start hiding it from other people. And you know that vicious circle. We end up living a defeated life. Why aren't there Christians living the abundant, eternal life? It's because we sin. And we don't confess it. And we go on about our life. And we live defeated. We get all dressed up on Sunday morning. We come in here and we sing songs of praise to God. But we're defeated. We're dead men singing. Now not all of you are like that. And I understand that. And I, I understand there are you who are genuinely here to worship and all that. But I also know there's people that come to church all over this globe. Not here at Aaron Springs. All over this globe who don't live the victorious life in Jesus Christ because they're living a defeated life because of the sin that's in their life. And Paul says, do I continue to sin so that God's grace given to me? And his answer is it in verse 2, no, may it never be. There's something wrong with that kind of thinking. Here's the life that God wants you to live found in the screen on verse 14 of 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. God doesn't want you living defeated. You know, he doesn't want you to live uh, uh, under the rug. He doesn't want you to live in the closet. He wants you to live in triumph, in victory. We just sang that song, didn't we? All of you were singing it. Victory in Jesus. Amen. But yet we sing that while we live defeated in Jesus. And so Paul wants to help us to correct that and to get on with our life. Now let's go back to verse 1 in that question. It's a logical question, is it not? Do I continue to sin because Jesus took care of my sin? It's a logical thing to ask God. Can I go on sinning, God, because you've taken care of it? I mean, that's a logical explanation or a logical question to ask God. So the answer, of course, is no, you cannot. No, you should not is Paul's answer, and certainly it is God's answer. It's a natural question to ask. What do I mean by that? Well, if I sit under a teaching that says I can escape the penalty for my sin while enjoying the pleasures of my sin, I want to go to that church. If I can escape the judgment and penalty of my sin while I enjoy the pleasure of it, who wouldn't want to be part of that? It's a natural question to ask, a logical question, and it's a natural question to ask. And so we have to be careful with that. 
Any teaching to escape the penalty while enjoying the action is intriguing to us. And Paul is talking about a cycle of sin, a continuous sin. He talks about an individual sin in verses 15 and following. He talks about a continuous pattern of sin in verses 1 and 2. Look again at 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin? It's a cycle. It's a pattern of my life. I became a Christian, and I'm going to bring all that baggage from my past with me. And now I'm going to walk with the name Christian on my forehead and a T-shirt with a cross on it and a bracelet, but I'm going to continue to do those things that I used to do before I became a Christian. That's what Paul is addressing this morning. He's not talking now about the little slip-ups that we all Christians have once in a while. That's in verse 15 and following. Today, this morning, I want to talk to you primarily about the single uh, or the continuous act of sin. So, a habitual practice of sin. Something that was there before you became a Christian. And the question is, can you go on doing that since Jesus took care of your sins? Can you go on being that way? Now, it's a spiritual question as well. Sin to make Grace increase. I don't think so. Paul gives us God's answer. The rest of that answer will be addressed tonight from verse 3 and following. I want to touch with you just on that question this morning. All right? The first thing I want you to see, it does not mean that sin is dead to me. Can I continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? I was to die to sin. Sin doesn't die to me. Amen? I cannot become sinless. I read a story about a preacher who was speaking in an out-of-town engagement. He hopped into a little barber shop to get a haircut. And he sat down and started talking to the barber and found out the barber was a Christian. And so they struck up a conversation in the Barbara was telling him about his salvation experience 17 years ago when he was sanctified. And the preacher said, hmm, they haven't heard it like that before. And the man said, I was sanctified and therefore I do not sin anymore. I have not committed a sin for 17 years. And the preacher's like, whoa, okay. So he starts pulling out of his mind scripture to refute that. And they get into an argument while this guy's cutting his hair. And the barber gets madder and madder and madder the more scriptures this guy, preacher, pulls out and speaks to him about we are sinners. And so he's foaming at the mouth while he's cutting his hair angrier and angrier. And finally the preacher says, hey, listen, you say you're not a sinner. Think how mad you would really be if you were a sinner like the rest of us. And the preacher said... It was two weeks before I could go out in public after he finished my haircut. Okay? We don't become sinless. There was only one who was able to do that. That was our Savior. Amen? But we are to sinless. You see that? We don't become sinless, but we are to sinless. 
Now, many churches today teach that you are to die to sin. You're supposed to die to it, kill it, put it away from you. But I want you to look at something in verse 6. Go down there. Knowing this, Paul says, that our old self was crucified with him. When did that happen? When was your old self crucified? At the cross. Do you see that? It's not something that you have to do to kill your old man. It is something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It becomes real for you when you believe. When you accept Christ, that becomes real to you. But it happened 2,000 years ago. Your old man, your old life was crucified. Go on in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, our old self, was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Jesus took our old man, Adam, and he crucified him at that cross on Calvary. He was dead. And Jesus then became alive and resurrected to new life to put it into all who would believe in him. So you don't kill your sin. You don't do away with your sin. You don't bundle it up and hide it in a closet somewhere. It's gone already. The moment that becomes real for you is the day you believe in the Lord. The day you receive Christ. The day that that happens. Many churches will teach you that. Paul says it's already done. Your sin nature, your old man, your old life is already been crucified. It's not something you must do now. It is something that you have to understand. You have to be willing to accept that. Let's go back to chapter 5. In our mind it says in chapter 5 what we were in Adam. And then it says in chapter 5 what we can be in Christ. What we were in Adam, we're sinful. What we are in Christ is righteous. What we were in Adam, we cannot escape that. But if we are in Christ, we will not go on sinning because the old man has been crucified. And now I believe and now I understand that. And now I don't continue to sin. Remember, we're talking about a continuous pattern of sinning. You don't do something, then get saved, and continue to do the sin. We see that a lot, don't we? We see that all around us. We see that happening in lives all around us. But here's what we're talking about today. That is not genuine. That does not happen that way. What happened in Adam, according to chapter 5, is canceled out by what happens in Christ. Christ crucified that old sinful nature. And what happens in Christ, we begin a new life in a new nature given to us. So let me say this, then why do we still sin? If you, Brother Clay, say that my old man died on that cross 2,000 years ago with Adam, and that uh, I lived 2,000 years later, and now I've become a Christian, why do I still sin? All right? I want to help you understand that. I want to help you to answer that question. What is the most important part of you? Well, if I broke us all down into biblical terms, there would be three parts to us. What are those three parts? Body, soul, spirit. Sorry, wasn't trying to confuse. Body, soul, and spirit. 
You all have a body made of dust and water. We all have a soul, which is our emotional drive, the thing that drives us. Then we have a spirit, something that's unseen. God is spirit. We don't see God. But we are spirit. We don't see our spirit. So how does the Bible describe our spirit to us? It describes our spirit as a vessel. Amen? You and I are a vessel described in the Bible in a few places. And so at creation, God filled the vessel of Adam. Adam's vessel, Adam's spirit was full of God. But then Adam fell prey to the temptation of sin through the devil. And he fell, the Bible says, the fall of man. And as Adam fell... That spirit filling his vessel was emptied out and something replaced it. Poison. The devil's poison replaced the spirit of God in Adam's vessel. And so now we can't think right. We can't choose right. We can't do right. Because Adam was poisoned with the devil's temptations. And that went from his spirit to his soul to his body. Now, let me help you understand that even more. When you get angry, right, that comes from what is filling your spirit. Amen? That's the first thing that happens is your spirit is filled with anger. It goes to your emotions and you start thinking. It comes out of your hands or out of your mouth. So when we get angry, we say harsh words, right? The body only responds to what the spirit tells it to do. Let me rephrase that. The body only responds to what the spirit is full of. Then the spirit lets the soul take over and the soul of the emotions tells the body what to do. And so you and I get angry. We storm out the room and we slam the door. The anger in my spirit comes out in my hands as I storm out the room and slam the door. Now you got me? Okay. Now you understand what, this, what is happening in the spirit of man. With Adam, it was filled with poison, sin, so to speak. All right, And so you and I can't do right, we can't think right, we can't choose right. We are not right in Adam. But God had a way to do away with that spirit of Adam filling us and return the spirit of Christ to us. And that happens when you believe. When you trust Christ, the Bible says you're born again. You come alive again. You are remade. You are not remade. You're made new over again. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Do I continue to sin? No. You can't continue to sin. Why? Because you have died to that. You're dead to that sin. That's not a part of you anymore. That spirit of Adam has been taken from you and crucified. Now you have a new life to live, a new presence within you, a new nature within you. So when I feel greedy in my life, right? When that spirit of greed fills my vessel, what do I do? I become selfish. 
I become this and that and I want this. When I have the spirit of ambition in my life, I will step on anyone to get wherever I'm wanting to go. If I had the spirit of power or the love of the world or whatever the case may be, those things come out in my body. So what fills my spirit is what motivates my body and drives my body. You see that. If I have uh, lustful thoughts, then I will do acts of immorality. That's how it goes. Jesus said the same thing. Look in the screen, Mark 7. Jesus said, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murderers, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. They proceed from what fills my spirit. You see that? Now the devil is good at filling the spirit with poison. And that's what he does all over this world. And men and women today struggle with that poison and they cannot make good and right decisions because it is filling their spirit. And they, there's a list that Jesus just mentioned there. So Paul agrees with that. He says that what fills the vessel is what happens. If Adam is filling the vessel, then I sin. And I can't stop it. I can't help but sin when Adam fills my vessel. But if Christ is filling my vessel then he defeats that sin that is within me and he cleanses that vessel that he has given me and he gives me this new life that we're talking about this morning. Then why do I continue to sin, Brother Clay? Because of this right here. Because you are accustomed to it. You're accustomed to sinning. Your body is accustomed to it. Your mind, your spirit, your soul is accustomed to sin. You know, when I was uh, saved... I was a heavy tobacco user, right? I was a heavy drinker. I was a heavy tobacco user. And the Lord cured me of that drinking. But it took him a while to chip that dip out of my mouth and them cigarettes out of my hand. You see that? It doesn't happen automatically. My body was accustomed to those things. Some of you are accustomed to other types of sin. It can be whatever it can be. It's just sin. And what happens is we become Christians and then all of a sudden we've got this battle going on within us. The old man is dead, but my body, my soul is used to that. Right? Gail and I would go back to the bar. We tried to hang out with our friends when we became Christian. And it was evident right away that we couldn't do that anymore. It was not who we were. It's not who we had become. Jesus was filling our vessel. Jesus had wiped out that old Adam vessel that enjoyed that bar life. And so we went back there and it was, it was uncomfortable. We didn't like it anymore. But that was our family. That was our friends. What's going on, Lord? He says, I made you new. I'm filling your spirit now. I'm cleansing you. I'm making you who I want you to be. Not who you want you to be, who I want you to be. And so a Christian has to surrender to that. And the Bible talks about that sanctification. Amen? When God continuously is cleansing us and making us whole and making us pure and making us right before Him. That's what God wants to happen for a Christian in his life. It will happen for you. 
He will get those things out of your life. In fact, Paul says it has to happen. It has to happen or it's not real, right? Look at the screen. Same house, two different people living in the house. A neighbor said, we had a family living there. They didn't take care of the yard. They didn't paint the house. They didn't do this. They didn't. They just let it run down. And they lived, we lived beside them for several years. One day they up and sold the house and a new couple bought the house. And they came in and they remodeled and they fixed the yard and they painted the house. It's the same house, but two different people are living in the house. Your body's the same body, but either Adam's living in it and ruling it or Jesus is in it and ruling it. That's the choice. That's what happens. That's what Paul says must happen. What if a Christian continues in that sinful life that they had before they became a Christian? There's only one possible answer. They're not Christian. They have not been justified by Jesus Christ. They have not been made new again by Jesus Christ. Now listen, there will be sins that you struggle with. But as a new Christian, you want to get away from those things. You don't want to bring them with you. Amen? You want as far away from that life. I remember when I, when I became a Christian, I was so grateful to God that He got me out of that old lifestyle, that old way of living. I wanted out of that. I tried to get out of that. Many times I wanted out of that life. I couldn't make it. Why? Because I couldn't make good choices. I couldn't do things correctly. I couldn't do things rightly. Why? Because Adam was filling my vessel. But when I believed in Jesus Christ and he tossed Adam out of my life, guess what happened? Jesus filled my vessel and I was never more grateful to anyone in my life that he changed my life. He made me different. And that's what he wants to do for you. And that's what he'll do for you if you'll let him. The key to it is allowing Jesus to fill you and get rid of that old man that is in you. Now, Clearly, if someone continues to struggle with them old past sins and they keep doing them over and over, the answer is obvious. Paul says they are not saved. He says, don't deceive yourself. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Amen? Here's another verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But... You were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. That clears it up right there, does it not? That clears up the question, who is saved and who is not? 
Who is genuine and who is not? Who's pretending and who is not? That makes it clear as it can be. But there's always hope for those stuck in the middle. There's always hope. Jesus came to set you free, to do away with that old life, and to give you new life. If you're longing for that, you can find it right here this morning in this place. Right where you're sitting, you can find that new life. All you've got to do is confess to him that you've been hiding and running all of your life. And today, you've come to the end and you're ready to meet him. And you're ready for him to take over. You're ready for him to get Adam out and get Jesus in. All you got to do is ask him. That's all he's waiting for is for you to confess and humble yourself before him and bring an end to the practice of sinning in your life. Let me ask you this. Do you hate your sin? Do you hate the things that you do as a Christian? I want to encourage you. That's proof that the Holy Spirit is in you. Before I became a believer, I didn't hate what I was doing. I enjoyed it. I loved every minute of it. Well, not every minute, but I loved most of it. I enjoyed doing those things. Gail got saved. You know what? She came home and she said, Clay, I need you to help me. I said, what do you want? She said, I want you to not bring that stuff in the house. I said, okay. But I told her this, I enjoy it. And I'm not going to stop. And you know the story. After living with her about another week, I saw this new woman in my life. She was different. She was changed. And I knew what I needed to do. I wanted to be like her. I wanted Jesus in me. So I got in my bedroom at 4 o'clock in the morning on my knees. And I asked Jesus Christ to save me and forgive me of my sin. And come into my life. And you know what? He did. And he changed me. And he made me a new person. And he'll do that for you. He'll do it today. He'll do it right here in this place. Do you hate your sin? If you hate the sin that you have in your life as a Christian, that's showing you the Holy Spirit's in there. And he wants, you to, he wants to help you to overcome it. He wants to insert the purity in your life that comes with the Jesus filling your vessel. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Tonight, I want to continue on with this same thought. How we do that. Paul doesn't leave us hanging, okay? He doesn't leave us at the end of the rope by saying, do I continue to sin? No, you don't. Well, what do I do, Paul? Well, let me tell you. And he goes on in chapter 6 to explain that. Tonight, we'll cover that, all right? But today, right now, maybe you know you need Jesus. Maybe you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you need him in your life. You can come to this altar right now and receive him. Amen. The reason I say you need to come is because Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of giving your life to me. He said, if you're ashamed of me, on the day you stand before God, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Amen. Make it public. Make it public. This is the first act of obedience to Jesus, being baptized. Doesn't save you anymore. It's just you showing the church and the world that you made a step to follow Jesus. I challenge you today, give your life to Jesus. If you're struggling with that sin and the Holy Spirit's convicting you of it, then you come and you lay it at this altar and get rid of that old Adam in your life. Let Jesus take it. It's already dead. You're just dragging him along. Amen? You're dragging him along. Let go of Adam and let Jesus fill your vessel.
Let's pray together. Father, bless your word today in this place and let your Holy Spirit move at his will and at his pleasure in the hearts of these people, Lord. And you change lives today and you make things new for some. You correct some. You reprove some. You chasten some. And you save some, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name. Let's